0: All right, well, I have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker this morning. It's uh, Bill Jenkins, and if you don't know Bill, he is pastor at Urban Life downtown, and uh, that is where our pastor Philip is today, right? And so we did a pastor swap, so he's going to be blessing us today while Philip is over there. And um, if you haven't got to meet Bill yet, uh, please introduce yourself to him after. He's been a huge blessing in my life, and I'm sure I can say that to a lot of us or about a lot of us in here. Um But before he takes the stage and and gives us a message, I want to invite all the junior high kids to go ahead and stand up and uh, join Alex and I at the back room, and we'll head over to our class, and we're going to go ahead and pray for for the junior high students right now. Uh, Father, we thank you so much just for the gift that you've given us in children, God. Um, We pray that you would would touch their hearts this morning, Father God, that uh, you would show us how to equip them to live uh, godly lives for you, Father, that we would. Help them build a foundation uh, that's rooted in you, and uh, Father, we just thank you so much that we get to to hang out with them, to bless them, and uh, to point them to you, Father God. I also want to lift up Bill this morning uh, that you would speak through him, Father, that uh, um, his words would just penetrate our hearts, God. And, uh, and I just thank you so much for the man of God that he is, and and the blessing that he's not only been to me but our church, Father. So uh, we thank you for him and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah, I've got in the habit of saying, when people ask me, how you doing? I say, so, well, I think I'm winning. And they pause because they, they think you're going to say, fine. I say, so I think I'm winning, but it's Sunday, and Monday tends to come around and bite me in the backside. So I think I'm winning. Uh, and, uh, but at times, you know, it's tough, isn't it, at times? Uh, and we, I, I've been tracking uh, some of your Facebook posts and some of the struggles and trials and challenges that so uh, many of you have been going for. I know Miriam uh, alluded to it as well. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that this morning but before I do I want to do the commercial break. I am here uh, by permission of the Christian Athletic Association. It was on your uh, uh, serving San Jose since 1979 and uh, that's um, where Philip is now. I think they've got the better part of the deal my church downtown. He's younger and better looking. I crossed that threshold of 60 uh, this year, and as much as I love it, uh, uh, the doctor said to me, I had the heart and lungs of an 18-year-old, but the knees and ankles and back of an (laughs) 80-year-old. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, Philip's down there, and I'm here, and he allowed me to come and talk to you. Our church, Urban Life Church in a Bar that ministers to the homeless downtown. We're in our fourth year now. It's absolutely amazing that uh, that's gone. The people the bar we use downtown, they don't charge us to use the bar. But those of you who have been aware of what we're doing, 75% of our attendees are homeless. So the offering's a bit spare every week, as you can imagine. It's not enough to support a salary, certainly in Silicon Valley. So what God has blessed me with, he's brought me full circle. Uh, Carol and I have been over here 20 years now. We've been in partnership. That's what makes me smile a little bit when Joe says guest pastor, preacher. I I like that. But we've known you guys for 17 of those 20 years. We've known you as uh, Twin Oaks. We've known you in the previous manifestation uh, of uh, Silver Creek. So we've been family for 17 years. So I don't really feel like a guest anymore because I'm come and take liberties now. I'm not going to be on my best behavior because there's a lot of grace flowing up this way, which is is great. But what God has done, he, he brought us over in 94 for the Soccer World Cup that led to the job offer at two churches in San Jose and then through the the, the journey of uh, planting churches here and up in the gold country. Uh, it really is, Carol and I were talking about this week as we look to our 20th year in America. We still don't understand you guys by the way, but uh, <laughs> as Oscar Wilde said, two countries divided by the same language. I think he was right. Uh, but 20 years and we reflect on that. It's like God has blessed us and it's a bit of a well done, Bill and Carol. He's, well, he's full circle, where now we, we pay the bills by me being involved in soccer, again, through the Christian Athletic Association. We've got 350 kids in our rec program. We've got four select teams uh, now. We're taking our first team overseas, uh, an under-17 team in August. We're taking back to London, to a Muslim community in the heart of London. We'll be playing Muslim teams. That's a big part of the vision. We've already got an invitation to go to Cuba, surprise, an invitation to go to France. So there's lots of opportunities, and all we're doing is building bridges through soccer to Jesus, for Jesus to walk across and save some. Uh, so if you feel like you want to support the ministry downtown, the soccer pays the bills. If you've got any kids or grandkids, you want to sign up for a soccer program, uh, the information's on that, that card in front of you. Um, I I have to confess, as I I looked at this, uh, I've been spending a bit of time in the community here because our treasurer has got an office around here for the Christian Athletic Society. I've actually got five guys now. I mean, you know, uh, they're the best fries. They're the closest you can get to English chips. If you have English fish and chips, been searching for 20 years to find it. Five guys is the nearest, and they've got the malt vinegar that you put on it. Oh, man, it's so good. So I make, oh, I've got to go and see the treasurer. Not really, I've got to go to five guys. But, but um, what I've looked at and noticed, and of course you'd have to be blind not to, is the potential now. All these apartments that are going up, the development that's going up. God has strategically placed this church to impact this community as it grows. Without a shadow of a doubt, I believe that with all my heart, that everything you've gone through as a a corporate body and as individuals has been preparing you to impact this community for Christ. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be phenomenal. However, if you look at things biblically, when God prepares his people for a great push, there's always persecution. There's always individual challenges. There's always corporate challenges. It's never a cakewalk. The first thing the Jews did when they crossed over the River Jordan was sit down and have a picnic. They didn't do that. They had to fight. They had to fight to take hold of the promised land. Uh, For for the the early church to fulfill the promise to go to the ends of the world, it didn't just happen. There had to be persecution in Jerusalem that forced them out of their comfort zone to go and have an impact for Christ. That's just a biblical truth. That's a biblical truth. And what I want to talk to you about today is some tough teaching for tough times. Tough teaching for tough times. In my experience, you're either in the middle of a life challenge, coming out of a life challenge, or about to go in to a life challenge. It's just life. That, that, that's life. Uh, and I know historically and uh, when we look at uh, my homeland, England, and it became popular the last few years, didn't it? Keep calm and carry on. When I grew up just after the Second World War, it was keep calm and smack a German. That's what they said. Like, you know, there wasn't a lot of PC going on at the time, uh, and a lot of brotherly love with, with, with the Germans at the time. But where that comes from is this, uh, this idea that the English don't panic. <coughs> when things are happening in their lives. I always remember growing up as a kid, uh, whenever there was a problem in the house, there was a crisis. My mum wouldn't make a drama out of the crisis. It was, OK, uh, put the kettle on, make a cup of tea. Literally, that's what she'd say. You know? Well, uh, uh, Dad's been in a fight. OK, put the kettle on, and have a cup of tea. Uh, Auntie Flo has left Uncle Charlie. All right, put the kettle on, have a cup of tea. The Germans are coming. Put the kettle on, make a cup of tea. And I used to think, why are we doing that? But as I reflected, there was some psychology in that. Because if you make an English cup of tea properly, you've got to wait for the kettle to boil. Then you've got to pour the kettle, boiled water into the teapot. You've got to allow the the tea to brew. It takes time. It takes time. So while you're doing that, you're sitting down, you're slowing down, you're waiting, you're calming down. Uh, A friend of mine was a principal at a school for uh, disenfranchised uh, young girls in England. And some of the parents would come in and they'd be quite irate. And the first thing you'd do is put a cup of tea in their hand. Because you've got a hot cup of tea and you're sitting down. It's a little bit harder to get aggravated, isn't it? Because you're going to end up scolding yourself with a hot tea. So there's a bit of psychology with it as well. But th- this idea of slowing down when there's a, a crisis in your life, I, w- I want to talk a little bit uh, about that as we, we go forward. Um, one of the things I've also learned through personal experience. Those of you who know my my story of being in the fire department for 10 years, getting trapped in a fire. Um, didn't think I would get out of that fire. Uh, that led to post-traumatic stress disorder and clinical depression. And I did plan and contemplate suicide. That's what I thought was the only answer. The irony was I'd not long become a Christian. And I thought everything's going to be fine there, and then this hit me upside the head. But one of the things that drove me nuts during that period and during subsequent trials is some uh, well-meaning Christians would come up to me and say things like, uh, uh, this too will pass. All things work together for good for those in Christ Jesus. And I'm in the middle of this stuff and I think, you know, you need to go away from me. You know, don't, don't say that to me. I don't want to hear those pious platitudes One of the mistakes Job's friends made when Job was going through all his stuff was they come up and they open their mouths and try to fix it. They weren't aware of what God was doing through Job. Sometimes I think all we need to do as Christians, if somebody's struggling with a life challenge, is just come alongside them, shut up, and say you'll pray for them. That's it. Don't try and fix them. You don't know what God's doing in their life. Just shut up and listen and be available. Say, I'm here. And that's it. Don't, don't come with the pious platitudes. Now, that being said, when I got through my life challenges and I've looked back, I said, oh yeah, God did use that for good. I, I see it, but not in the moment. You can't see it in the moment. You just can't. It's impossible to, to see that. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love the book of James. Uh, for me, it's the, uh, the Glasgow Kiss of epistles. Now, Glasgow Kiss, the, the Scots have a reputation for being somewhat... Tough, you know, Braveheart, William Wallace, they're, they're, they're tough. The men's wear skirts in February, I mean, they're, they're tough. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, uh, Gla- Glasgow is the granite city, Glasgow is the tough of the tough. And a Glasgow kiss, if somebody's causing you a problem, is a, is a headbutt, It's a bonk. In, in England, we call it the Millwall handshake because Millwall in London is a similar place. It's a headbutt, and I think James, the book of James, is like that. He doesn't, he doesn't hold anything back. It, it's the Crimea, a river, build a bridge, get over yourself letter. I mean, he, he really doesn't hold any any punches uh, uh, at all. I, I remember. Uh, for three years as a, a teenager, I took up boxing to impress my dad. My dad hated soccer, but he loved boxing. So I thought I'd take up boxing in the hope of getting some love from my dad. It didn't, didn't work. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, abusive man. And uh, He came to my f- second fight, and uh, as I was on the ropes doing my thing, I looked over, and he was literally where you guys are. His arms folded legs crossed like that. And he looked up at me and said, Your F word, useless. That was my dad. I mean, it got me so angry, I beat the what's it out of the guy I was fighting, but that wasn't the point. But I, I took up boxing to impress my dad. And one of the things they learned about <coughs> with, with boxing, it, it was if you were going to be successful, you would try to hit your opponent in the tummy to, to get his, 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 him to bend down. But first of all, you, you're going to go up the top. So it's two to the top to get his, his gloves to go up. One in what's called the bread basket to make his gloves down, and the third would be a hook to knock him out. That's the book of James. <laughs> That's the book of James. I mean, he's bonk, bonk on the nose, and you go, oh, I didn't like that too much. And you go, oh, don't do it anymore, James. And he pops you one in the bread basket, and then he right hooks you and knocks you out. <laughs> and and it, it is that way. It's unapologetically in your face. So a little bit of background for, for this, uh, the book of James. The author is uh, James <coughs> Go figure. And uh, he's the brother of Jesus. He's the brother of Jesus. Uh, He's probably the eldest of his siblings. He, early on, he thought Jesus was bonkers. He thought Jesus was doolally. He so said, Cart him off to the funny farm. He's lost the plot completely. He didn't become a believer till after the resurrection. So he wasn't uh, an early follower at all. But what happened subsequently is we, we read through the Bible and, and see what a pillar of the church James was. Um, he was the one of the select individuals that Christ appeared to after the resurrection. Paul called him a pillar of the church. Uh, On his first visit to Jerusalem, Paul, after becoming a believer, his road to Damascus experience, the person he wanted to visit with was James, not Peter, it was James. Uh, On his last visit, when Paul knows, I'm coming to Jerusalem, I'm on my way to Rome, I know this is the end, who did he want to see? James. Um, When Peter was rescued from prison, he told his friends, go and tell James, go and tell James. James was the early leader of the early church in Jerusalem, Uh, so much so that Jude later on in the Bible could just identify and say, "I'm I'm James' brother. I'm the brother of James." Everybody knew. Everybody knew who James was. He was martyred in about A.D. 62. He he lost his life in about A.D. 62. Um, Most people think that this book was written about A.D. 60. Some scholars lately are dating it earlier, around about A.D. 50, which puts it as one of the earliest uh, epistles, the earliest letters that we've got. Um, But what I want to get into this morning is open this book up and see where it takes us with this issue of trials and challenges and how we're supposed to deal with it. So if you can track with me, it's James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. So first of all, he says, consider. Let's stop there. The word I want you to plant in your mind this morning, I'm going to give you three words to go away with and and remember. This is the first word, contemplation. Contemplation. And I will open this up in in a little bit, but that's the first word I want to plant with you. Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Now, when he's talking about pure joy, He's not sort of happy, clappy, kumbaya kind of joy. He's not saying, okay, when these trials and struggles come, jump up and down and say, oh, thanks, God, hit me again. He's not saying that. He's talking about a joy that's very profound. It's a joy that because of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have access to peace, surpassing understanding, because you have a relationship with a Prince of Peace. So in the midst of that, you can have that joy. It's not, all oh, wonderful, isn't it great to have these life challenges? He's not asking you to be stoic. He's saying that in spite of that, you can experience this peace-surpassing understanding in the midst of that trial. Uh, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kinds, trials, now, here's an important biblical principle. God tests, Satan tempts. God will never ever tempt you to do something wrong. There'll be tests within your life as he wants to grow you, but he will never ever tempt you. It's Satan who tempts you to to err, to do things wrong. Not God. God tests, Satan tempts. Um, Trials of many kind because you know that the testing, God's testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, this issue of perseverance, this is the rationale behind what he's just said, to be joyful. Consider it pure pure joy. Here's the rationale of the why. Because to be joyful, to have that peace surpassing understanding, in spite of your circumstances, in, in spite of the trials, what that does, when you access that peace in the middle of it, when you access that peace, that develops perseverance. That develops perseverance, which in turn grows your faith and draws you closer to God glorifying God in the process, which is the sole purpose of man. The sole purpose of man is to glorify God. That's our sole purpose. And if you develop perseverance through, as you look and reflect on your trials, you know, okay, I've been here before, not liking this at all, God. I know for experience this will pass. Can you hurry up and make it pass a little bit quicker this time? Be honest with it, but the reality is that perseverance brings you closer to God and glorifies Him, glorifies Him. And that's your purpose. So that's what he's, what he's trying to say here. Your joy in the midst of what's going on will draw you closer to God and glorify him in the process. Uh, perseverance must finish its work, so it's not a quick fix, so that you may be mature. So it's about growing you in your faith and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously. Now, there's this misconception that if we ask God, if we ask God, it's, it's, it's not going to be big enough for him. Our stuff isn't big enough for him. Nothing could be further from the truth. God doesn't mock you for asking. Doesn't mock you for asking for anything, but he doesn't mock you, neither is he promised to give you all the answers. He hasn't promised that. What he's promised to give you is the wisdom and discernment to make good choices. Big difference. Big difference. As you grow in your faith, and you might get opportunities presented to you, uh, uh, he's looking for you to be mature and not say to him, God, which one? He wants you to say, God, give me the wisdom and discernment to make the right choice. I had a dear friend a few years ago. He was working for Phillips as one of their... um, financial officers, the big dutch company electric company and he got two offers in silicon valley and both of them were fantastic offers fantastic offers. he said bill what one should i choose i said well you're a mature christian ask god to give you the wisdom and discernment to choose don't expect him to give it in you in black and white pray for the wisdom and discernment to make the right choices and either choice would have been a successful choice for him But God wants us to grow up and make these wise choices. Ask God. So that's the second word I want to plant in your mind this morning. The first was contemplation. The second is supplication, which is just a long word for asking God, talking to God. That's the second word. We'll come back to that in a minute. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Here's the but. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. That's the third word. Expectation. So we've got contemplation, supplication, expectation. I'm going to unwrap each of those in a minute. Believe and not doubt. Now, this doesn't mean you never question God's decisions. It means you don't question his character. As a God who gives unflinchingly and loves you unconditionally. doesn't mean you can't question his decisions. When I look at things in the Bible... Wow, I don't get that. Or I see things going on in the world, I go, God, I've got to be honest, I don't get that. He wants us to be honest. He's not necessarily going to say what you want to hear. Uh, I mean, uh, when Job got to the the end of what was going on, basically, and he said to God, why me? God said, why not? Why not you? Because if we believe that we belong to God, and our life can glorify him in the midst of the challenges, why not? This issue of believing and not doubting doesn't mean you can't question. You can't question. Contrary to the Catholic teaching, when Thomas stood before Jesus, he didn't stick his fingers in the wound. If you read it properly, Jesus said, here I am, Thomas, look. He invited him to, but Thomas went, my Lord, my God my Lord, my God. There comes a point where your doubt has to be shifted off to one side and you have to follow through and believe in faith. But it doesn't mean you can't ask questions in the process. God wants to rise up people that are mature, that can take what's coming down the pipe and represent him. He, he wants us to go off of the milk and onto the meat. And to do that, we have to go through trials and struggles. The difference between us and the world isn't that we don't have struggles it's the difference in how we handle them that's our witness how we deal with these life challenges that's the difference so believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea I mean all of you have been over to the coast when it's a bit lively you said the wave's not constant is it A, a wind will come in the wave will go that way it will go this way I mean you God's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like a a wave in the sea, uh, unstable, tossed by every wind, every trial that comes along. Don't be like the wave in the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. There's the danger. There's the danger. He is a double-minded man, unable, uh, uh, unstable in all he does. Double-minded. Jesus spoke about this in the book of Matthew. It's about serving two masters, the world and the word. He's, th- this double-minded man that James is talking about is the person who's got one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. That the, the, They want God to be involved in some of their stuff, but not all of their stuff. They want a 911 God, not a daily God. Sadly, today, this issue of division applies to many who carry the name of Christ. They may attend church regularly, but don't allow God to impact their lives daily. I read a quote from an author, Chad Walsh, who wrote this, from Satan's perspective, it is safer to vaccinate people with a mild dose of Christianity than infect them with the real disease. Satan loves it if we're a little bit Christian. He loves it if we're, Christians on Sunday, but the rest of the week there's no difference between us and the world. We're not a threat. If we gather like this, if all we do is gather like this on Sunday, he's as happy as a sandboy. We start doing things outside of our community. That don't mean you, 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 you abandon this. Of course not. Well, Paul made it quite clear that you should... Uh, uh, put time into the fellowship, the gathering of the saints. But if all we do is gather for a couple of hours on Sunday and we don't do anything else like hanging the door hangers, impacting the community, then Satan's quite happy. He's okay for another Christian country club to exist. But the moment you start getting out there, and here's the thing. In light of what I said earlier about how this community is growing and these new apartment blocks and new houses... Do you think Satan hasn't taken any notice? you think he, he, he's, he's unaware of what you're trying to do? Well, there's going to be stuff coming down the pipe at you corporately and individually, and is coming and has come down the pipe corporately and individually, to hedge you off at the pass, to stop you doing this. So the last thing he wants is a dynamic church reaching the lost for Jesus, The last thing he wants. So don't be surprised you're going to have these temptations that are coming down there. These challenges that are coming in your life. It's part of the process. It's biblical. The Jews had it. The early church had it. Why shouldn't you have it? Why shouldn't you have it? Uh, And there's a process I want to lead you through of handling this Time of challenge, whenever they come into your life, and it's wrapped around those three words. So the first word is three keys I've called. The first word, as I said, is contemplation. That was verse two to four. Now, what I mean about this, it's not talking about how you feel, but it's how you think. I think in our society, in the twenty years we've been over here, what I've noticed is a real shift to asking how you feel. How does this make you feel? Uh, Unfortunately, it went too far the other way previously, like you, you turn up, especially guys at church on Sunday, would say, how you doing mate? I'm fine, you liar. All fine means his feelings inside never expressed. <laughs> it, it was just guys are like that, they said, no I'm okay, I'm good, and you talk to people, we put masks on on Sunday. So I, I do agree, it was too far that way, but now the pendulum swung over here. Every interview you see on TV now, whether it's a, a morning show or a news item, They look across the table. They move in. They lower their voices. How does that make you feel? If your feelings contradict the Word of God, your feelings are wrong. If your feelings are telling you to do something, I woke up this morning. I didn't feel. I don't feel like being married, darling. All right, we're done. I I I don't feel like going to work. You'll get a pink slip. It's not about you. You might have had a dodgy pizza or a curry last night, and you're feeling not too good, and you make decisions off the back of your feelings. So this issue of contemplation is about engaging your brain. Engaging your brain. Step back from the situation, from the crisis and the challenge that you're going through, and engage your brain. Sure, you might feel rotten, but what else is going on? Did you contribute to the situation in any way? Is there any personal responsibility? In what's going on. Uh, Do you have a behavior or an attitude problem that might need some work? Maybe that's contributed to the situation. Get some perspective. If you like, put the kettle on and make a cup of tea. Don't make a drama out of a crisis. Contemplate. And one of the things I've found here, you've got to be careful. You contemplate, but you don't dwell on it too much. Because you become so introspective that you're your trial, your challenge gets blown out of proportion. You contemplate, you analyse it, but you don't, don't go too far. The best thing I've found to, to get me over the hump while I'm going through the process of the challenge is to serve other people. Serve other people. It's amazing what that does to you. In the midst of the challenge you're going through, you say, I know I don't like this. This is awful. I don't want to go through this. I am going to go to the House of Grace this month. I don't feel like going. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go on the prayer walk and hang the door. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to go. When you start serving other people, it's wonderful what happens. God looks at that and He goes, Well done, my good and trusted servant. Well done. Well done. And He starts to step into your situation to, to help you walk through it. When you stop focusing on yourself and you start serving other people, you get perspective. You get perspective. I mean, obviously it was awful what took place in Paris a couple of weeks ago with the 12 people that got killed. It was absolutely awful. But what hardly made the news was 2,000 people got b- killed by another Muslim group in, in Africa. They just swept through these two villages and murdered them. <coughs> we need perspective. Whatever it is you're going through, I'm not diminishing it and saying it's, it's small by any means, but it's all about perspective. And when you get perspective... That, with that comes the will to persevere. And as we said, perseverance develops character, and there is no greater attribute than Christian character. So that's the first word, contemplation. The second word I want you to take away this morning is supplication. Supplication simply means to talk to God and be honest. Be honest. Uh, one of the things uh, I find really strange is that we think we can hide our stuff from God. My definition of worship, for instance, is to bring all that you are, the good, the bad, and especially the Eli Wallach, the ugly, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, to to bring all of that into the presence of all that he is. That, for me, is worship. The good, the bad, and especially the ugly, because he knows it anyway. Who are we trying to kid? You bring all of that into his presence. He's transcendent. He's above all things. He is God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But he's also imminent. He's in amongst devil, All of us right now, he's here. That's where the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel comes from. God with us. He's here. He knows. He listens. He knows what's going on. So why are we trying to hide it from him? So when you're going to talk to God, be honest. Now, sometimes in the midst of some stuff, I'm not sure what to pray. Our son David joined the Marine Corps uh, when he was 18 when we came over here and he uh, got a reaction to some of the vaccines they gave and he got a disease called transverse myelitis that left him paralysed from the chest down and they said we don't know what's causing it um, we can't stop it once it gets to his diaphragm he's dead we flew down to San Diego and uh, I'm looking at my oldest my boy dying in front of me uh, don't understand this what you're doing I thought you brought us over here to draw him back to you. What's all this about? You're going to kill him now? What's all this about? I didn't know what to pray. And ever since that time, my default is to pray the Lord's Prayer. When I don't know what to pray, I pray the Lord's Prayer. Here's why. Because I think everything is contained in that. You remember when the disciples uh, came to Jesus, and they, they didn't say, will you teach us how to preach? Will you teach us how to perform miracles? Will you teach us how to make all that bread and food so we can have more feasts? What do they say? Teach us how to pray. They got it. They knew. And what did Jesus teach them? In Matthew 6, he teaches them how to pray. So when you're talking to God in the midst of your struggle, and you're running out of words, and maybe you're not part of the charismatic movement that you feel you can communicate in tongues, I haven't been blessed in that. I mean, I've, I've got my English language, I know... Uh, that's God's language because God's an Englishman, isn't he? So you know, I think that's okay with him. And, uh, but I, I, I try to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I know from start to finish when I say our Father, I know I'm saying our Abba, our Daddy. Jesus was the first one to use that term, that intimate term. Dad, Dad, can you hear me? Dad, I need to talk to you. Everything's wrapped up in that opening, Abba. Hallowed be your name. You're talking about his character. You reckon, you go, I, I know you're above all things. I know you're transcendent, God. Uh, and your character is—you cannot be besmirched. You, you say that. His kingdom come. Meaning now, Father, may your kingdom explode into our community now. Explode through me into somebody else now. You're praying about provision. Give us our daily bread. Interesting. he says daily, doesn't he? Ties in with the Jews when the manna came from heaven. Some of them try to shuffle it away for the next day just in case it doesn't come tomorrow. It went rotten overnight. They couldn't eat it because they had to trust God daily for their provision for your daily bread. He's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. What people forget is the second part about that. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You see, God's forgiveness of you is connected with your forgiveness of other people makes it clear. He does an idea. He said, you want my forgiveness done, but you've got to forgive the person who's hurt you. Maybe your trial or your challenge revolves around somebody who's hurt you in your family, at work, in a relationship. If you want to move forward out of this trial and challenge, remember we said to contemplate? If you identify that and you say, oh, I haven't forgiven them, that might be the logjam. Forgive them. Forgive them. Refusing to forgive somebody is like taking poison, expecting them to die. It's stupid. You know, the only good thing about banging your head against a brick wall is when you stop. So stop. Forgive people that have hurt you so God can forgive you. Lead us not into temptation. And he talks about that's his guidance. He'll guide you. Lead us not into temptation. And it also, the Lord's Prayer, talks about his protection interesting, he says, deliver us from evil. He doesn't say deliver us from evil people, does he? He says deliver us from evil itself. And finally, there's spiritual semtex in the, uh, the last verse of the Lord's Prayer. This is one. If you're going to pray this, you better duck. Your will be done. Your will be done. Pray and duck. If you pray that prayer, you're unleashing dynamite into your life. You really are. You've got to be careful when you pray that one. But pray it because uh, God will bless you. And the last word I want you to take away with you. So we've got contemplation, supplication is expectation. And that was in verse 6 to 8, expectation. Anticipate God's answer. Uh, It might be yes. It might be no. It might be wait, my least favorite. Or the one I've come to terms with over the last 20 years of ministry in America is That's a good idea, Bill, but I've got a better idea and bigger. About a year or so ago, I got asked to uh, uh, throw my hat in the ring with a slam dunk of getting the job of a large church in Hong Kong uh, that had a ministry reaching into China. Uh, I'm still the pastor of the slowest-growing church in America. We have 15 to 20 homeless people every week. Was attempted, tempted? You bet. You bet. Luxury apartment in Hong Kong, love cities. It's just me, Carol and I love cities. Opportunity to minister into China. Like this substantial salary to go with the large church. Oh, yeah, this, this looks good, Carol. This is the reward. And then immediately I connected with a Christian Athletic Association and I said, could you help us? We've sort of got stuck in the mud here a little bit. We've been around since 1979. We've become a Christian country club. We need somebody with a, an evangelistic heart. Can you can you come alongside us and be our president and uh, executive director? And I looked at that and I looked at China and I thought, my goodness, the, the opportunity to build bridges through soccer around the world for Jesus to walk across... 111 million watched the last year's Super Bowl. 2.2 billion watched the World Cup final. God's prepared me to do this all my life. I've been involved in soccer. I use soccer for ministry. And now he's bringing me full circle and blessing me. So really, although it was tempting, Hong Kong and stay in San Jose, it wasn't really. God had a bigger idea. I can reach more people through soccer for Jesus than I can reach by being a senior pastor of a large church in Hong Kong. So sometimes God's answers is, that's a good idea, Bill, but I've got a bigger one. I've got a bigger one. And you have to trust him as he he does that. Um, You may not like his answer, but he will answer. But he'll not answer if you don't ask. (laughs) So ask. Ask. Talk to him. Takes us back to the supplication. Ask him. Uh, I want to close this morning with a principle and a payoff. Here's the overarching principle. It's not about you, it's about him. My sole purpose in life, your sole purpose in life, is to glorify God. If my trials and tribulations glorify God, I've done my job. If by some way, my trials and challenges... As I said earlier, our witness to this world is often how we handle life's challenges. I couldn't see what was going on in the life of my son David when it looked like he was going to die. Only in hindsight do I see what God was doing. You see, David joined the Marine Corps to kill people. That's what he said. He was a long, long way from God. Gave his life to Jesus when he was 12. Drifted away big time, big time. Thought we'd come over here, it'd be a fresh start. Started okay, drifted again, drifted again. And he just, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the Marine Corps to kill people. I remember getting a call from him. He was living up in Davis with a friend, two o'clock in the morning. He was drunk or high or whatever. and said to me, okay, he said, I've got a gun. I heard a click. He said, I've got a gun. Tell me why I shouldn't shoot myself and don't give me any of that Christian SHIT. What do you say? What do you say when you get that call at 2 o'clock in the morning from your first son? I just kept talking. Kept talking, 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 talking. And it went quiet at the other end. I didn't hear a bang or anything. Found out the next day he was okay. So that was my David joining the Marine Corps. While he was in the Marine Corps, they found out he was a pastor's kid. Marine Corps boot camp is intense with bells on. And he had these guys coming to him and saying, Hey, you're a pastor's son, aren't you? I've rolled my ankle. If I can't get out there tomorrow, they're going to back squad me or kick me out. Can you pray for me? Hey, Jenkins, my wife just called me. She's in tears. She wants me to quit. But if I quit, I've got no future. Can you pray for my wife and my kids at home? She's just falling apart. So he said, Well, I don't believe in all that c rap anymore, but I'll pray for you. Ankle got healed. Wife calmed down. Uh, there was a litany of stuff going here. So my, my son said he walked into the, uh, the the bathrooms in their hut or whatever it was, and he said, "Okay, God, if you want me to come back to you, if this is you, I really need a clear, undiluted sign that you're calling me back to you." The next day, he was paralysed. He's fully recovered. He's fully recovered. Uh, he's, Got our little grandson Liam mar- married an American girl. We're trying to forgive him for that, but yeah. <laughs> got, got our daughter married a Frenchman. That's one worse, isn't it? They live up in Reading. He's going through their school of theology up there. Uh, now got powerful testimony, but in the moment, I didn't know what to say to God. About it. I was just lost for words. I prayed through the Lord's Prayer. I was lost. I, I didn't didn't understand. But if my trials, if David's trials and my trials as his dad were a witness and they glorified God, I'd done my job. And they did. Didn't like it. Didn't have to like it. But it's not about me. It's not about David. It's about him. It's about him. So that's the overarching principle. There's a payoff. There's also a payoff. In verse 12, if you look at verse 12 in this letter, here's his James, the Glasgow kiss, Millwall handshake, smack you upside of the head guy. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. The ultimate reward for persevering, for leaning into God, for putting him first is eternal life. Eternal life. You will receive that gift. Doesn't mean it's easy. You'll receive that gift. We're going to have an opportunity to practice all three of these. Now, we're going to go into communion. Communion is a time when you can contemplate. You can reflect on what I've said or contemplate the issue, the trial, the challenge you're going through. Contemplate it. Think about it. Have you contributed? Is there something I can change? Is there lack of forgiveness? So, we're going to spend some time as we prepare for communion. Quietly, it's nobody else's business, by the way. You, you know We don't have a confession box up here. You, you, it's you and God. You don't need a priest to intercede for you anymore. You've got Jesus. He's right here, right now. So you, I want you to contemplate, spend some time. Paul says we should examine ourselves before we take communion so that we don't drink judgment on ourselves. You want God's forgiveness? Forgive that person who's hurt you. We're going to talk to God, supplication. It's an opportunity for you to talk... To God and get one-on-one with God. If you don't know what to say, if you pray the Lord's Prayer, "Our Father who art in heaven," you're, it's all there. If you're not sure what to say to Him, and finally, expectation—expect Him to answer, even if it's an answer you don't particularly like—but expect Him to answer. And then we're going to go into the the, the time. We're going to have a, the song. We're going to take you. What I'd like you to do is, when the elements get to you, just hold on to them. Have a time of contemplation, supplication, and expectation. And then when the time's right, we'll take it as a corporate body. Because we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We're a family, a church family, that's trying to impact this community for Christ. You need to know you're not in this alone. Not only does God love you and wants to be part of moving you forward, you've got a church family that's here to support you. Even if you've got something going on in your life that you don't want to share the details with somebody, you put it on the prayer card unspoken. He knows. That's the only person that has to know. That's all. So we're going to have a a moment here as you get the elements and listen to the song. Just spend some time contemplating, talking to God, but come off the back of it expecting Him to answer. Does that make sense? Okay. Father God, as we come to this time of communion now, We don't take it lightly. Lord, um, we know that these elements represent an outrageous price that Jesus paid for me, for us. Lord, I'm so desperately, desperately sad that he died for me. And I'm so profoundly happy that he did. My goodness me, where would I be without him? So Lord, we, we come with reverence here. We come with an attitude of contemplation, an attitude of supplication. We want to talk to you. And we want to come out the back end of this expecting you to answer our prayers. Maybe not the way we expect, but we know you will answer. We know in faith, we know you will answer. So Father God, prepare hearts and minds now to connect with you through this incredible act that he, he paid that price in Jesus' name.